Good morning. I'm Margie Boswell, and our passage this morning is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. I was trapped and I couldn't move. One arm up in the air holding on to a hard plastic looped handle. And the other arm was sort of trapped against my body. Uh, the only thing I had to protect me was a backpack in front of me that sort of served as a buffer between me and uh, everyone around. Uh, but I couldn't turn around. I could, I could hardly turn my head and even look around. Uh, so tightly packed in that to shift my weight from one leg to another would mean leaning on a complete stranger. Sounds like a nightmare, but actually it's just the everyday experience of riding on a bus in Ukraine. Uh, something I learned last uh, fall when we were visiting Kiev Theological Seminary. Now, when I get uncomfortable, I tend to try to mask my discomfort through humor. So I was joking with my teammates, laughing at the situation we were in, pointing out bad English translations on signs, things like that. I should say I was joking with some of my teammates. Uh, the, the more culturally sensitive members of the team were telling me to shut up. <laughs> Stop talking because, as I learned, no one talks on a bus in Ukraine. Everyone has a great amount of respect for each other's personal space and so is deadly silent. 
I was getting all of those odd looks, you know, the who's the loud American looks. Well, we got to our stop, we squeezed through everybody, got off the bus, and walking away, I glanced back, and there's just a row of people staring at us. And once again, to mask my discomfort, I gave them a big, cheesy American smile and waved. <laughs> now, what kind of ambassador do you think I was being for America on that bus? Well, some might argue I was actually being a very good ambassador because I was being American. I, I, was, I was being me. I wasn't allowing these social norms and practices of Ukrainian bus life to inform the way I presented myself. I was doing what Americans do best. I was being loud and obnoxious and generally moving through the world as if the whole thing is there for me. <laughs> it's what we do. Now others, and maybe judging by your laughter you agree, uh, I may have not been that great of an ambassador. Primarily because, at the moment, I didn't care the slightest what these Ukrainian bus riders thought of me. I didn't adapt, I didn't contextualize my behavior to their culture. And I agree with you, I'm willing to admit publicly, you are right, I can only plead exhaustion as an excuse for my actions. I didn't really present American in a way that was compelling or attractive. Now, what do you think people are going to remember more? One bad American? Or a hundred good ones? Yeah. Well, I guess our reputation in the world around us speaks as an answer to that question already. Uh, ambassadors. At Faith Church, we have set our, our direction towards this vision we believe God has given us of becoming informed and winsome ambassadors. Ambassadors of Jesus in this secular world. In essence, I guess you could boil it down to say we just don't want to be obnoxious ambassadors. If we're going to offend somebody, let's offend them with the gospel, not with our bad behavior. We want to represent Christianity and represent Jesus in a way that is compelling to our host culture, in a way that kind of tests the waters on the bus, you know, so that mixing metaphors there, but sort of you understand what's happening around you. It doesn't leave people with a bad taste of Christianity. That's what our discipleship series this, uh, this new year has been about. How do we become these informed and winsome ambassadors we've been talking about? Now, we're a third of the way through this discipleship series. We began, began the first of the year. And, and since that beginning of the year, we've spent each week looking at just what is discipleship at faith? What does it look like? And we spent the last five weeks looking at the world around us. What does it mean to be in a secular world? What are human beings, and, and how, do we, how do we go about being in the world? How does the gospel appeal to people in a secular world? And asking and answering those questions, which, by the way, you can catch up on at faithlivingout.org slash sermons, uh, asking and answering those questions the last few weeks was a key part of understanding what it means to be an informed ambassador. An informed ambassador, if we're going to be that, we've got to know what kind of a world we're living in. And in the future... After Easter, we're going to take five weeks to talk about how to be winsome toward that world. So we spent five weeks getting informed, and after Easter, we're going to spend five weeks talking about how to be winsome towards that world. How do we posture ourselves towards the secular world we find ourselves in? Where we are right now, right in the middle of this series, is to help us understand what it means to be ambassadors. We're going to spend the five Sundays of Lent focused on understanding and applying how God forms us for this world, 
that we're in? How does God form us to be ambassadors in this world? So this morning, as we start these five weeks of just looking at what it means to be an ambassador, we're going to begin by looking at the root and the character of our ambassadorship. The root and the character of our ambassadorship. I don't actually know if that's a word, ambassadorship, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's the root and the character of our being ambassadors. We're going to start with the root of our ambassadorship by looking at Colossians 1. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. So grab a Bible, uh, turn there, or just Google Colossians 1. Even if you misspell it, Google knows what you meant, so you'll be able to find it and follow along. Now, an ambassador, of course we know, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, an ambassador is someone who, who lives in one country or lives in one place but represents another country. They're full-time citizens in one place, and yet full-time residents in another place. Not ghettoized and hiding, but out in the open, uh, expressing the values and the beliefs and the practices of the place, the country, the kingdom that they really belong to. Now, that representation may be formal, like a governmental position of ambassador, uh, and then it comes with all those perks and privileges, like not having to pay parking tickets. Uh, Or it may be more informal, like asking someone, you know, hey, you used to live in this city. Uh, I'm going to be there next week. Where should I eat? You can, in a sense, be an ambassador. It means you're, you're representing the life, the culture, the values, the government of one place to citizens of another place. It's a key analogy that comes through clear, clearly in Colossians 1, 13. Uh, take a look. Uh, Paul writes in verse 13, he, that is God, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, there's two main verbs in this, these two verses, or in, this, in verse 13, and these verbs uh, hint at a reality about salvation, that it is not a future thing. This, him, him talking about delivering us, God delivering us from the domain of darkness, and then transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This isn't something that's coming in the future. This is a now reality. We have been saved, we have been rescued, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness. And we have moved, we've been transferred into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his beloved son. Which means when when we become followers of Christ, when we repent of our sin and turn back to him, our citizenship, our belonging moves from an old kingdom to a new kingdom. Now, we were rebels in that old kingdom. But once we laid down our arms and were purchased out of that kingdom by Christ's death on the cross, we were purchased, pardoned, and adopted into God's family in this new kingdom. We are now citizens of the kingdom of God's beloved son. We've moved from one kingdom to another. Our church staff right now is reading through a book together called You Are What You Love. And this last week, uh, as we were talking about the book in our staff meetings, uh, one member of our staff uh, brought our attention to a comment the author makes about this particular passage. He's writing about Colossians 1.13, and he says, discipleship, discipleship is a kind of immigration. Discipleship is a kind of immigration from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. In Christ, we are given a heavenly passport. In his church, we learn how to live like locals 
of his kingdom. Now, such an immigration to a new kingdom isn't just a matter of being teleported from one realm to another. There's more to it than that. We have to be acclimated to a new way of life. We have to learn a new language. We have to acquire new habits and unlearn habits of that rival dominion where we used to belong. So you can think of Christians as kind of a reverse immigrant. We still live in the country of our birth, what Paul calls the domain of darkness, but we are now citizens of a country we've never been to, the kingdom of God's beloved son. But since we weren't born into the kingdom we are now citizens of, we didn't learn its practices and its rhythms and its values and its, its ways of life. We didn't learn it as children, so we have to learn it now, even while we're still living in our old country. Discipleship, then, is the process of becoming, in practice, what we already are in truth, citizens of the kingdom to come, ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. It's this transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light that makes us ambassadors. Now, what kind of a life should an ambassador live? We could take advantage of uh, the type of ambassadorship that lets us, you know, park illegally wherever we want and not worry about the consequences, but I don't think that's what God has in mind. In fact, it's, it's not what Paul says at all. As we turn to Colossians 3 and we read Colossians 3, 1 through 17, we're going to find the character of our ambassadorship, the type of character that, that should permeate those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. This is where we learn the values and the practices and the rituals and the rhythms of the kingdom of God. Take a look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now, now these four verses are kind of a, a theological recap of the previous two chapters. You know, Paul always does this. He spends half his letter giving you a theological foundation and then half his letter applying it. So here in these first four verses, he's recapping what he's already said and then setting it up as the foundation for the life change he's going to admonish us to. Look at verses 1 through 4. He says, if then, in other words, since, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is summarizing the state of believers in the kingdom of God, saying we have died with Christ and been resurrected with him, died to our old kingdom and to the values that ruled that country, and been resurrected to a new kingdom and to the values and the practices that rule that kingdom. It's almost as if he's taking the, the immigration metaphor from chapter 1, and he, he's expanding it. He's saying, you know what? You, okay, you didn't just move as if you could chart a geographic path from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. You didn't just move. Entrance into the kingdom of light requires a death and a resurrection. To be part of God's kingdom, to be a citizen of the kingdom to come, you have to die and be born again into that kingdom. And you have died and been resurrected with Christ. And the, the difference then between life in the domain of darkness and life in the kingdom to come is as radically different as death is from life. Our new life as citizens of the kingdom to come, of God's kingdom of light, is, is not just this life only better. It's a, 
it's a categorically different kind of life. And the life that he calls us to carries with it, brings with it its own values and practices that we can begin to experience and inculcate into our lives even now as we still live in the domain of darkness. Now, as we read the next 13, 14 verses of chapter 3, there's three things that come, come through pretty clearly about the character uh, or the character that's required of us or the character that fits within this new kingdom. One, we see that the things we bring with us from the old kingdom, they don't fit here. The ways of life we bring from the domain of death don't fit in this new kingdom. And then Paul's going to describe for us what life in this new kingdom actually looks like. And finally, how, how that citizenship grows within us. So there's parts of ourselves that we need to get rid of because they don't fit in the new kingdom. There's practices and values of the new kingdom we need to put on. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about how that actually works. So first, let's, let's look at verse 5 and, and talk for a minute about the parts of us that don't belong in the new kingdom. Verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, whatever belongs to the old domain. Put it to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion or lust, uh, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. See, discipleship being a transformation from death into life, Paul jumps in here right away with a very strident verb. He doesn't say, hey, don't any longer tolerate or do your best to kind of squish. He says, kill, put to death, euthanize these vices in you. Euthanize the way of life that comes from the old kingdom. In these these verses, he he kind of gives us a, a bit of a murderer's row of vices that, that are, are ways that we try to control and use other people, possessions, even our own bodies to get what we want. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, covetousness. But he goes beyond just listing these things that, I mean, granted, most of us are willing to admit that's not a good thing. He goes beyond just listing some bad behaviors and he qualifies them all. He takes the group and he, he, he says, this group of, of vices, these are idolatry. These patterns, these habits, these ways of life, they are idolatry. Meaning, they don't just, when we engage in them, they don't just break relationship with one another. But they break our relationship with God. Because in each one of these vices he lists, we use them to get something we're supposed to get from God, but we don't trust him to give us. When we are citizens of the new kingdom, but we actively and sometimes excitedly engage in the practices and the rhythms and the ways of life of the old kingdom, we're in essence saying to God, you know what, thanks for the salvation and stuff, but I'm, I'd rather serve my old king. I know that your kingdom, your way of life, it calls for self-renunciation, it calls for self-sacrifice, it calls for love. I don't, I don't want to do that. I would rather have self-indulgence and self-service, and I, I would rather be, if I'm going to be a slave to someone, I'd rather be a slave to myself than to God. See, these, these ways of life of the, old, of the old kingdom are what Paul calls earthly. We have to put to death. We have to, to exercise from us these ways of life that are earthly because they show when we engage in them that we don't really want to be in this new kingdom. 
and on account of those, the wrath of God is coming. There's hope, though. It's not just condemnation. In verse 7, Paul reminds us, in these things, in these vices, in these ways of life, you too once walked. You too once walked in them when you were living in them, but now there's been an exchange. But now there's been a movement. There's been an immigration from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. So now we, we have to put them away. Put away anger, put away wrath, malice, slander, put away obscene talk. Don't lie. All of those things are the ways of life of the old kingdom. Put them to death. Put them away. In the kingdom of God, we don't use money and sex and power and our words to control people, to extract from them something we need for ourselves. We don't use these, these things to tear people down or just to gratify ourselves. We don't use money and sex and power and words to destroy. There's a new way to use these forces in the kingdom, a way that gives life instead of taking it. We're to put off the old ways we used to orient ourselves to the world and the old, old ways we used to get what we want. We're supposed to discard it. Paul uses that metaphor in verses 9 and 10. He says, put off the old self. It's a, it's a metaphor of like taking off dirty clothes, removing a garment. He's saying, put off the old clothes. Put off the uniform of your rebellion. Get rid of the uniform you used to wear and put on the new self. Put on Christ. Put on the clothing that Christ has given you in your salvation and in your baptism. Put on Christ. Put off, put to death all those ways of life you're still holding on to that you brought from your old citizenship. It's time to learn new ways of life. New ways of life. And what are those new ways of life in the kingdom of God? Well, Paul doesn't leave us guessing. He tells us. He, he goes on to begin to describe the virtues and the values of the new country. And, and what, I, what I think is fascinating about this passage is that immediately, he says, if, if you have put off the old, the old self and put on the new self, there is an immediate practical impact that is evidenced by the body of those gathered together. Verse 11. He says, here, in the kingdom of God, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, there's Christ. And Christ is all, and he is in all. Immediately, if we have died with Christ and been resurrected with him, if we have moved from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, immediately the barriers of differentiation that used to define us have been torn down. We don't define ourselves anymore by our race or our ceremonial cleanliness or our ability to follow the law or our ethnicity or our cultural heritage or our social standing. There's only one marker that marks all of us, and that's Christ. In other words, as ambassadors of Christ's kingdom, the one thing that sets us apart is that we're not set apart. We don't restrict membership within the body of Christ and within the kingdom of God to only those of a specific nationality. We don't let you in only if you're good enough, only if you're well-behaved, then you're allowed to come. 
We don't exclude people from our midst based on their social status, blue collar, white collar, self-employed. It doesn't matter. All are welcome in the kingdom of God because all have been drawn and marked by Christ. That's what brings us together. And if we're going to live in that kind of a kingdom, in a kingdom where we don't lean into our differences in order to define ourselves in opposition to others, but we lean into our sameness and our commonality as sinners died and resurrected with Christ, if we're going to live in that kind of a community, we have to learn a whole new way of life. So Paul continues in verse 12. Remember, he said, put off these vices, put to death these habits and patterns of life. And now in verse 12, put on then is God's chosen ones, his holy and beloved ones, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. He says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. He reminds them, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Compassion and kindness and humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. These are not the kind of things you can put on a chore chart. They're not a list of actions you can check off at the end of the day and say, yes, I was compassionate. Three times today, new record. I thought about being kind. How, how nice of me. You can't put them on a chore list and check them off because we're not being called to conform our outward behavior to an external list of rules that can be codified and do this, don't do that. We are being called to have our character transformed into the likeness of Jesus. There's a difference between being radically changed on the inside, transformed, and being simply obedient on the outside, just being conformed to an external standard. Now, this, this transformation that we're to undergo comes through pretty clearly in verse 14. If you continue to look at uh, look on, verse 14, and, and above all these, above all these virtues, above all of these habits and patterns of life that permeate and characterize the kingdom of God, above all of these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all of these put on love. One commentator wrote that what are these other virtues, compassion, humility, patience, forgiveness, what are they but love in action. What is, what is compassion but love responding to another person in need? What is humility but love of God and love of other outweighing love of self? What is patience but love of God allowing God to work his will in his own time and being willing to wait? See, in the Christian tradition, love has been seen as both the source of the virtues and also the shaper of the virtues and also as the ruler of all of the virtues. Love is what moves us to act in compassion and humility and patience and forgiveness and all the things that Paul lists. But love gives those actions their specific shape as we respond to specific individuals in love. And it's love for God and love for others in God that continues to, to move us out of ourselves and into the lives of other people. 
and it, and it allows us to love them for their own sake. You know, love in the kingdom of God is different from love in the domain of darkness because in the domain of darkness, love is self-serving. We love others, we, we serve others in order to get something back. Uh, like cosmic karma, I believe that all the good I do is going to come back to me. That's not love, that's self-love. In the kingdom of God, we can love one another for their own sake because we can love God for his sake and others through him. St. Augustine once wrote, love and do what you will. He said, here's a short, simple saying for you, love and do what you will. If the root of love is within, of this root can nothing spring but what is good. Love and do what you will. That's the character, that's the, the way of life that permeates and, and is intrinsic part of the kingdom of God's beloved son, of the coming kingdom. It's a self-giving love. It's a, a way of life that is exemplified by these virtues that Paul tells us to put on. Compassion, kindness, forgiveness, patience, and meekness. Which is a crushing list if you think about it. How am I supposed to do all of that, especially when I'm not given a chore chart style list that I can check off at the end of the day. It's easy to obey when all I have to do is put the check mark in the box. Well, I mean, you have to do the thing and then put the check mark in the box. You can't just check it. But it's easier to obey if I know exactly what's required. And, but I'm not being given what's, what's exactly what's required. I'm being given a way of life. How do I do it? How do I become the kind of person who is compassionate and who is kind and who is humble? The answer is actually surprising, I think, when we first see it, but, but deeply makes, makes a lot of sense. How do we learn to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven? How do we learn to live as immigrants who once lived in the domain of darkness, now citizens of the kingdom of light? How do we learn to live? The answer is worship. Worship. And at first we're like, the answer is worship because in worship, in the gathered body of Christ coming together and praying and reading and singing, preaching, listening, eating, remembering, in these common weekly everyday practices, we learn and relearn and relearn again the values of the kingdom to come. This comes through pretty clearly, actually, in Colossians 3, two main ways. I shouldn't say pretty clearly because the first one is a little difficult to, to suss out because our English doesn't have uh, a really good word for the second plur person plural, you know, the y'alls, like y'all do this, y'all do that. We just say you do this, you do that. Uh, every single verb... In Colossians 3, that is directed at us, is a plural verb. Every single verb in there is not saying you, individual, reading this letter, put to death, put on love. It's saying you all, put to death these vices, put on these virtues. You all, you collective, you the group, together, you the church, put on love, put on these virtues. 
See, the, the inculcation of these values within us, these, the enculturation to a new way of life, the, the learning to live out, to become, you know, in, in practice what we already are in truth, can only happen and does only happen within the church. There's no transformation without a body. You cannot be enculturated to the kingdom to come without being incorporated into the body. Because when we gather together in worship, when we gather together here, we are making a political statement. I don't mean a political statement in the sense of we have free speech and freedom of worship, we can do all that, that's true. But we are, when we gather together here, we are an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom to come, our true citizenship, heaven on its way. We are the kingdom of God brought from the future into the now. And when we come together, we are coming together to say, I don't belong here, I belong there. Let's sing those songs. Let's sing the songs and tell the stories of the kingdom that is to come, to keep our hearts pointed towards the kingdom that's coming. We can't put off the vice and put on the virtue unless we are collectively orienting ourselves towards the kingdom of which we are really citizens. We have to do it together. It's a community effort. And it comes through most explicitly and most clearly in verse 16. You know, verse 16 is one of these verses about worship we tend to pull out and crochet on a pillow and like uh, give to the worship leader and, and for Christmas. But um, it, that's a really good idea, by the way, if anybody wants to do that. Um, we pull it out because it talks about worship and it's one good, solid verse about worship. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's beautiful on a pillow. But it's actually, it's here for a reason. Chapter three, chapter four are all about the, the ethical ramifications of the theological foundation that Paul laid in one and two. Okay, so in 1 and 2, he tells us, here's who you are. You've, you've died with Christ. You've been raised with him. Now, let's talk about how we live that out. And chapter 3, he says, here's the things you stop doing. Put off these vices. Here's the things you start doing. Put on these virtues. And then in the second half of chapter 3 and chapter 4, he says, now these are how they live out in specific relationships, different parts of your life, right? Right in the middle as a hinge between Virtue kind of in theory and in practice, he puts a verse about worship. Now, where do you think that is? Is he saying also, oh, by the way, don't forget to worship? I think what Paul is getting at in verse 16 is that without the word of Christ dwelling in y'all richly, Without the word of Christ dwelling in all of us, teaching, admonishing one another, singing, worshiping, without that, we cannot be formed into the citizens of the kingdom to come. Coming to church and worshiping together is the way we are formed in the values and the practices of the kingdom. When we get together and we sing and we pray, we are, the way this, the, the hymn writer put it, we are retuning our hearts to sing his grace. That happens when the body comes together. So I only want to make one point of application from this passage, mostly because the next four sermons are themselves the application of this passage and others and, and this, this big idea. One 
main application. It's fairly simple. If the church, if the gathered worship is the foundational and first place where we are formed to become citizens of the kingdom to come, then it's time to go all in on church. It's time to go all in on church. Now, I know you'd expect a preacher to say that. I have a vested interest in your investment in the church. Yes, that's true. But to be honest, this application terrifies me. Because if this service, if the gathered body together, worshiping together, orienting ourselves to God together, if this is where discipleship begins, this is the foundation of discipleship, the weight of the responsibility on the pastors and the worship leaders and the choir director and all those who lead in prayer and lead in this service is enormous and also thrilling as God uses what we do every Sunday morning to orient our hearts towards the kingdom to come. Now, we've been binging on the Olympics the last week and a half, two weeks, and it's kind of becoming... Uh, it's getting repetitive to the point where I point out to Jenna every single time a commentator says, this athlete overcame enormous obstacles to get here today. Well, of course they did. They're at the Olympics. You don't get there without overcoming enormous obstacles. It's just nobody coasts their way to the Olympics. Because you, you can bet every single one of those Olympians, they didn't skip practice, cheat on their, uh, their eating, their diet regimen, or stop working out because it just didn't fit into the schedule. If you want to compete at that level, you got to practice to that level. If we want to be formed as ambassadors of God's kingdom, we can't skip practice. We can't skip the rhythms, the routines, the regular, repeated ways that God has said he is going to use his body, his word, and his church to form us. If we want to be formed as ambassadors, we got to go all in on the church. Because it's in the body, in worship together, that we are formed as citizens of the kingdom to come. Want to be trained? If you want to reorient yourself towards God's kingdom, it's time to go all in on the church. We have been moved from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son at the cost of his own son's life. How can we not want to share that with everyone around us? How can we not want to be his ambassadors? Father, you have brought us to you through the infinite cost of your only son. And you have revealed to us uh, through your word, through the people of Israel, through the people of the church, over thousands of years, you have revealed to us the ways in which you, the ways you have made us, the ways you have created us to be formed. As we have gathered here this week and will again next week and the week after and the week after that till kingdom come, I pray that in our worship, in the reorienting of our hearts towards you, you would form us into citizens of our true home, a home purchased for us by the blood of Christ in whose name we pray, amen.